Like if you really want to cut, cut out the fat, you have to really meditate on the podcast and be like, Oh, what can, what can stay? What can go? Um, and it's, it's so hard. It's such a time, time, um, time strain. I mean, I'm working on a show right now, a YouTube show that I'm doing the same thing. Like we had Vinny, Vinny Pastor from the Sopranos on an episode teaching me and my friends acting. And it's like, when you're in the moment, everything feels so like, you're so grateful to be there and it's so fun and funny. And it's like, Oh, I have to cut these moments out so people can never see them. And it's such a hard thing to do, especially when it's yeah. like, a great yeah. experience. I want to ask one more question on podcasting because mm-hmm. I don't want to. Um, what would you say is an ideal length for a podcast? Like, like I said, there is no ideal. There's no rules. I mean, it's like, what's an ideal length for an animation film? What's an ideal length for a lovemaking session? You know, it's like <laughs> it depends on the people. And it, are you in the bathroom at the hotel or, or the bathroom at a restaurant, or are you in a luxurious villa on the coast of Normandy? Hello and welcome to another episode of the Marvin's World podcast, a podcast where we speak to fascinating and intriguing people who help people like you and me make what we love a full-time job. Uh, if you like the podcast, give it a view on iTunes or Amazon and share it with your friends. Share the love. If you didn't like the podcast, maybe share it to the neighbor you hate or like that bully in school. Like try and make sure that they have a bad day. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah just share your friends share the love today we have a amazing guest like he he has come all the way from america he's all the way from new jersey and he is he's a good friend of tony soprano yeah <laughs> that's actually funny because I, I work with a uh, big pussy um from really? the sopranos yeah <laughs> <laughs> really? but it's also funny because i don't live in new jersey i live in uh new rochelle and most and i'm moving back to new york city soon oh, okay but you live sort of the, the part of new jersey that's near new york sure yeah no it's not so is it like an overspill because in Liverpool, in london we have small little towns and when people ask them where they're from they say they're from london even though yeah. they're from a smaller town well, I mean, I was born in New York City. I live in, in um, I don't know, it does, this is boring. Let's fucking, we don't have to talk about this, okay. the geography of New York. Who gives a shit? But we can talk more about, um, yeah, you said, so this is about passions, right? Yes. So like, we want to find out about how you became a comedian and like your story sure. into it. Sure. I mean, see, that's the thing. I mean, I love comedy. I'm trying to be a stand-up comedian, but... Right now, what I am professionally is a podcast producer. So um, it's it's a weird thing. It's like, yeah, I can say I'm a stand-up comedian, but that's not how I'm paying my bills. I'm paying my bills with podcasts, which I'm equally passionate about. You know, I'm obsessed. I've been editing a podcast while listening a pod, to a podcast. So um, I'm, I'm a podcast nut. And that's how I work Ooh. with uh, Big Pussy. Um, I produce podcasts for this this company, Storic Media, and then also freelance. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm passionate about podcasts. I'm not really passionate about editing them. 
to be honest. Ooh, yeah, I, I like doing the talking on a lot of podcasts, but I'm not really too sure what I'm doing with the editing. Like I tr- what I try and do with a lot of the podcasts is before I used to record a separate bit where I do an intro and the end bit, mm-hmm. but I figured out recently why not just do it in the whole thing with the guests. Like I see a lot yeah. of people, they do a separate. Yeah, it's, it's, and I heard mostly with podcasting, you should treat it as a live performance. Like you edit mm-hmm. some bits out, but for the large part, if you want to produce regularly, you're going to ed- you should just you know, treat it as live performance. You're going to make mistakes. It's, it, it, it's, there's very many different types of podcasts, right? There's like the Joe Rogan school where it's keep everything in and it can go as long as you feel like it. And then there's the, uh, the public radio school where it's like a super produced uh, thing with sound effects and music and all that. And it, neither of them are wrong. It's just a, uh, I, I kind of tend towards the Joe Rogan school because I like I like the chaos I like the mistakes um, I like I like their things being wrong but on certain topics you know you kind of do want that produced feel but but anyway um, yeah podcasts I mean it's it's an interesting thing because I don't think I have one passion I mean I love stand up comedy I used to want to be a musician I recently have gotten into surfing which I'm obsessed with um oh yeah and um you know i think it's just it's almost like relationships it's almost like do you have one woman that you you like there are certain people who fall in love with one woman in high school and they marry her and they stay with them for the rest of their life i almost see it like that where it's like you can be that type of guy that's that's a pretty rare guy or girl or uh non-binary person whatever uh, um, uh, but it's a uh, it's more usual that people fall in and out of love with things or you know or they they cheat on their spouse <laughs> or whatever um, and I mean I think if anything I guess I I mean I don't feel this way in my romantic relationships but I feel a little bit polyamorous when it comes to passions like um you know, when I was a kid, I wanted to be an astrophysicist. I didn't know what I wanted to be. I remember torturing myself, torturing myself in high school, especially trying to figure out what exactly I wanted to do with my life, what my purpose was, who I was supposed to be. And I I had no idea, really. Yeah, you're right about that, because a lot of people, you're not going to find, it's better you just go through life and then you find it out, because like, things that you want at the start aren't always what you want at the end that's true and it's also hard to know if you don't know who you are especially if you're a complex person like most people are um but some people are complex and they just happen to know themselves i don't know um but most people are just figuring out who they are and i I remember being a teenager and kind of like hating my dad in a lot of ways because we used to fight a lot and i was like i'm never going to be like my dad and meanwhile my dad took me to a comedy open mic when I was like eight years old and I saw him do comedy and here I am doing comedy, you know, committed to it. <laughs> That's a good bit there. <laughs> yeah. So it's like you, in a sense, I mean, some to some extent it's random and you get to choose your passions, but to another extent, it's kind of given to you. Like, you know, you get exposed to a certain type of music randomly as a kid or 
your parents make you take uh, swimming or whatever, you know, sometimes, sometimes it's just happenstance and you don't really choose it. And it's not really about who you are, but more about what happened to you. Okay. It's interesting that you mentioned all the things you mentioned, like music, podcasting, comedy. And the mm -hmm. question that I would like to ask is what is it about those three mediums that you like individually and make you passionate about them? I mean, music, I have to say, I, I was a little late to being very passionate about music. Like my, again, my dad, he used to play uh, Jimi Hendrix, which I loved, and then Van Morrison and the Police, which I hated until I was like <laughs> in college. And now I love. Um, and so I was exposed to it. And again, my dad played guitar and, you know, he was bad at it, very bad still is it's actually worse um <laughs> and um but i just remember being very depressed um and i i was living in a zen monastery in japan and i had left early and i just went into a deep depression i just felt like life was meaningless and i started listening to the blues because i kind of related to that that sadness and started trying to learn the blues as a way to express my own sadness. And that kind of just pulled me into a rabbit hole. I was like, oh, if I'm going to play the blues, I might as well try to be the best guitarist possible and learn jazz. So I started studying jazz. And then I went to college for jazz guitar. And then I realized I suck at jazz guitar. So why don't I play some bass? At least I can be useful. And, uh, and then I moved to the city to pursue comedy. And I couldn't fit my my upright bass in my apartment, so I just sold the bass. And I'm like, I'm I'm gonna commit to comedy and just not really try for music, you know? Okay. And and what about podcasting? What what is it that's like? How did you fall into being a podcast sort of producer and editor, as well as a um, comedian? Well, c comedy and podcasting kind of went hand in hand because I was again I mentioned Joe Rogan. You know, this was early in the Joe Rogan days. It was probably like seven, eight years ago. Um, I just, I don't think I graduated college yet. I'm still playing music. And I just remember him always going like, you should start a podcast. You know, you should do stand-up comedy. You could do it. You could do it. I was like, maybe I could. So I went to one of the open mics where I usually did music and I did stand-up. I just riffed it. I didn't have anything planned and it went okay. And um, then I kind of started doing it more seriously a year later and uh same with podcasting you know i started recorded a podcast on my phone not that long after that and then didn't do it again for another year then did it again more seriously and you know kept going through iterations and developments of like trying to be take it more seriously and eventually i had this podcast called the weird ball podcast which probably if you search the internet very hard you can probably still listen to i don't know and and I, um, I used to record it in my basement. It was like a video thing, and we do crazy sketches and improvisation and games, and it, it was it was interesting. But it it kept shifting. But anyway, I had a friend on Jeremy Shaftel, who um, is an interesting guy. He's he also like edits um, comedians and cars getting coffee, the Jerry Seinfeld show. Okay. So he, he's kind of like in that industry and he knew a guy who's a professional podcaster who couldn't make a podcast and um, they needed someone to fill in. And do, do you know that guy, Pete Holmes, that show Crashing? Uh, no, but please tell me about him. 
Um, he's a, he's a professional comedian. You know, he had uh, the Pete Holmes show. He had a late night show for a second, and then he had a a Judd Apatow produced uh, show called Crashing about becoming a stand up comedian in New York City. You know, mm-hmm. as a young person, a great show and great guy. And um, I, yeah, I just went to his apartment and recorded the podcast a couple times, and that was my first foray into like being a professional podcast, either engineer. I mean, that's more of an engineer than a producer. And then from there, you know, word kind of got out that I was doing this semi-professionally and people started asking me to produce their podcast. And, um, you know, I, I started producing podcasts for The Ringer, for David Chang and um, and some basketball player. And, and then eventually I got... Um, I, I got a call from the Comedy Cellar because I had interviewed there like two years prior. You know the Comedy Cellar? Oh my God, yes. The ma- yeah. Amazing. So I was working at the Comedy Cellar producing podcasts there for a minute before the lockdown. And so that was that was pretty amazing. You know, I was getting to sit with Jim Norton and all these comedians. And um, so that was, that was cool. I, I was working at the Comedy Cellar and then I kind of... Uh, that was a great gig, but it didn't pay that great. Um, I was still, I was still very grateful to have it. And I think I probably will still work for them occasionally once things get back to normal, but I kind of leveraged that to working for my current gig. And it just, you know, it just snowballed. It just, it just was a matter of kind of taking it seriously enough to be prepared for the opportunities that presented themselves and have the balls to go for it. And, take it seriously and uh want to do a good job and try to go the extra mile which i'd never really done with anything prior to that one thing i want to ask you is what is a common thing that podcasters get wrong with the editing so like a lot of things that podcasters tend to do is they don't find their niche and they don't stick to one thing but what Mm. what do they tend to do wrong in terms of the editing and the audio quality um I mean, adding some EQ and some compression are the main things. And then if it's like a really noisy background, a little noise gate, I mean, those things can go a long way if you know how to EQ and compress something. Um, But other than that, honestly, if the podcast content is great, the conversation is great, who the fuck cares how it sounds as long as it's not distracting, as long as it's not unlistenable. Okay. And what would you say... Is is a podcast in regards to some of the editing, do you do you feel that like on TikTok or on YouTube, you've got to get someone's attention in the first few minutes, right? Yeah. I mean that's for sure. But but then again, you know, if you have a celebrity that people are a fan of, no one cares. They're like, I'm a fan of this person. I'm gonna stick through it for a while to see if there's anything good. Like you know, if Kanye goes on Rogan and people love Kanye West and he doesn't do that many in- interviews, they're going to give him a-, a lot of leeway. But well, one thing I don't, yeah, I see what you mean. Like in terms of podcasts, the editing can be quite annoying. So like, especially if you go to a podcast where I know a lot of things have gone wrong and you have to take out so many bits out. Yeah, it's it's a painstaking process. It's not easy. Like if you really want to cut cut out the fat you have to really meditate on the podcast and be like oh what can what can stay what can go um and it's it's so hard it's such a time time um 
time strain. I mean, I'm working on a show right now, a YouTube show that I'm doing the same thing. Like we had Vinny, Vinny Pastor from the Sopranos on an episode teaching me and my friends acting. And it's like, when you're in the moment, everything feels so like, you're so grateful to be there and it's so fun and funny. And it's like, Oh, I have to cut these moments out so people can never see them. And it's such a hard thing to do, especially when it's like a great experience. I want to ask one more question on podcasting because I don't mm-hmm. want to. Um, what would you say is an ideal length for a podcast? Like, like I said, there is no ideal. There's no rules. I mean, it's like, what's an ideal length for an animation film? What's an ideal length for a lovemaking session? You know, it's like <laughs> it depends on the people. And are you in the bathroom at the hotel or, or the bathroom at a restaurant, or are you in a? luxurious villa on the coast of normandy you know like it it all depends on the topic and the people involved i think okay. <laughs> and how does that one thing i've found is that like bill burt uses a lot of i hear that he uses a stuff from his monday morning podcast in his stand-up mm-hmm. do you like when you're doing podcasts or have you used some of your bits in your stand-up um yeah occasionally uh yeah occasionally and i i like to use my personal podcast um when i do a solo episode i like to do solo episodes alternate between guests and solo and use the solo episodes as a way to like work out you know not just bits but also your voice you know because there's a there's a certain amount of freedom at least that i find that I can access when I'm by myself completely that I can't necessarily access all the time when I'm either with another person or an audience. So I like to practice getting into that mind state and, and honing in on that. Mm. And so, okay. So would you be able to elaborate, elaborate a bit on that? Um, you know, just getting silly, just not feeling the pressure of having to be funny every second, not feeling the pressure of like, oh, these people are going to think I'm a fucking weirdo. You know, you you can just act as crazy as you want. And if you really don't like it, you just don't release it. But you don't have that freedom if you're either with another person. or Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. But if the episode hasn't gone as well as you think, you still, it's, you, you'll feel a bit bad about not releasing it. Yeah, well, I mean, I might. I usually release it regardless of how bad I was. <laughs> it's funny you mention that because I had a guest on the podcast called David Napo, mm-hmm. and he spoke to the guy that plays Chucky, who is a gay dwarf Republican. And he was expecting to be really tolerant, but he was very racist, like saying mm. like N bombs and all of that. Wow. And like, he had to unrelease. He didn't. He, he couldn't release it because of it. Um. So the, I didn't know there was a a dwarf that played Chucky in the Child's Play movies. Yeah. Oh my god! I had no idea. I thought it was like I don't even know what I thought it was. I thought it was like stop motion animation or something. Yeah, I didn't either. I was asked because he he's a professional podcaster. So I asked him about interesting guests he had, and then he mentioned that. Yeah. Well, I produced a podcast recently. We released and then we took down because because the the guest was screaming. He had like a little headphone microphone like you 
and he was screaming the entire time so it was clipping it sounded awful and then also he was kind of being an asshole too so (laughs) too much effort for yeah no rewards exactly do you feel that sort of translating to comedy sometimes if you're if you're on stage and you're dealing with a bad audience um how so if you're dealing with an audience that we're not if you if you're in a situation where you feel it's hopeless on stage yeah. and you feel that i'm wasting my time here or like the audience aren't for it yeah w- w- when you feel on stage that you're wasting your time do you not bother and just go off rather than try and rescue it yeah i mean of course at a certain level you you only have so much patience and then will goodwill that when you reach the end of it you know you start i mean i it's a bad habit to a certain extent i've i have attacked audiences when i've just like felt super judged by them and it's not a good it's not a really good habit to get into unless it's like obvious that they're being assholes but there's that famous bill burr clip right the one that got that basically broke him the one in philly where his his friends who was it don um forgot his name dom um whatever the other comedian philly comedian you know he's going on after great comedians and the audience is giving them nothing and he's sitting there backstage watching all his close friends who he knows are hilarious just bomb 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 so he comes out in an attack mode and he's fully prepared to attack them and and it's the funniest thing ever because he's just shitting on philly he's like you're a racist town you know you like you love rocky even though you have a a heavyweight boxer who was a champion from your town but you don't like him because he's black so you've invented a fake boxer and you have a statue of him that you worship and it's the funniest shit ever (laughs) that's bill burr pure anger that's his he's funniest when he's angry for one and two, he's a master of his craft. So, it, it was fucking out. That was yeah. It, it's so brutal at times. And I think with New York, I mean, you, so you started out in New York, and the thing is, the positive about it is that you get to learn from the best comedians in the world, and probably in America, from mm-hmm. more, like Pete Davidson. He started in New York, and look at where he's gone. I mean, yeah. but you also maybe don't don't have the chance to develop your stuff in a softer way before you hit the hard bits yeah i mean when i moved back out of the city i was doing open mics upstate a lot and it was so much more fun you know so much more camaraderie so much less pressure and i started to develop a lot more i think in in, in different ways you know so there's there's something to be said for both for sure i think it's it's worth doing both i mean i think earlier on it's probably better to be in a smaller place um but at the same time if you're the right type of person iron sharpens iron you know and and that it really taught me how to work hard being in the city taught me like oh these people are working their ass off i need to do something more than i'm doing now how does it work in terms of like you got Caroline's? Obviously, you got um, quite a few little clubs in New York that are big, and you got the the Comedy Cellar. How does it work in getting seen and spotted and progressing to that? How does that work? A lot of it's hanging out, 
hanging out at the clubs, you know, just having your face seen over and over and over again, hoping maybe someone doesn't come in or your friend works at the club and you become friends with either the booker or someone who runs. A lot of the clubs have shows produced by people who aren't really affiliated with the club, just so the club doesn't have to think about making a lineup and the the pressure to sell tickets isn't on the club. Okay. So, you know, if you do some of those shows and then someone at the club sees you performing at their club um, and they like you, then they might ask you to stick around. I know New York Comedy Club has late night, which you, you audition. I think you have to do a bringer show and you audition. And then if they like you, then you do a check spot. Um, which is when the checks are coming out. So no one's paying attention. And if you do good there, then they bring you back for late night. I think they were having it five or six nights a week where you get the kind of the dregs of the normal audience and perform on a free show at the end of the night. And I was doing that for a while. I was passed at that club. Uh, and then when I went on that tour, they were like, oh, you've been gone too long. You're off. What? So, yeah. <laughs> what, what? How does that work? What do you mean? What? I, I mean, I also think they didn't like me. I think one of the managers didn't like me. And then one time I did a character and they're like, maybe they thought it was hacky or something. Oh, and because I had a friend of mine uh, called Andrew Tubman, a mm -hmm. new Geordie guy. He, he did a few gigs in America for about six months and he got onto the Carolines. Wow. Cool. Yeah, Caroline's has been, um, I think, on a downward spiral lately, because they do they do bringer shows now, and they, you know, they do this thing like new talent of whatever, like fresh young talent, and I guess some of the people are all right, but it's basically a glorified bringer show. You yeah. know, they let you do your first headlining gig at Caroline's, but I mean, maybe I'm just a little bitter that I haven't done it, but I th yeah. I do think it is a bit of a bringer show. In New York, which are the main clubs you got? So you got the Stands, mm -hmm. and you got Laughing Buddha, and you got Cellar. No, which is Laughing Buddha is not a main club. That's like a Bringer Central, man. That's ah. like a bring. That's an open mic. It's like a very expensive open mic that does sometimes do shows at the Stand, but they're like Bringer shows mostly. Um, no, the Stand, the Cellar, New York Comedy Club. Um, trying to think i mean the creek in the cave just closed qed dangerfields just closed rodney dangerfields club um yeah west side comedy club you got gotham which is great gotham's a great club when it's full um uh, caroline's i mean eastville moved over to brooklyn what else i think that's it really I, what, what happened with the Laugh Factory? Because that used to be in New York, didn't it? Um, I don't know. I mean, that was before my time. Oh, yeah, Stand Up New York. We, that, that's one. And Broadway Comedy Club. Uh, Stand Up New York's under recent new ownership. That's okay. But they've been doing shows in the park, with, I think, without a mic, which is even worse. Whoa. I don't know. I don't know. But, Yeah. Think without a mic, which is even worse. Whoa. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah. And is is New York sort of a bit divided, a bit like LA? Because in LA, they got, I hear that you got all these different cliques, loads mm -hmm. of different cliques over there. And do you get that in New York as well? 
I mean, a little bit, but everyone wants to be at the cellar. You know, there's no one who doesn't want to be at the cellar. That's like the gated, gated garden of Eden of comedy, you know? And I have a friend who I used to do late night with at New York Comedy Club. Very funny guy, Eagle Wit, who um, is still doing the cellar. He's, and he's blowing up. Um, so that's pretty cool to see. But what, so how, is it true that there's a table up there? Is, in, they, I hear mm-hmm. there's a table in the comedy cellar. Yeah. Where, how does that work? Tell me. It's so funny. I used to, because I used to sit at near the table to get to wait to get paid. Um, so I would just be sitting there looking over at the table and being like, ah, oh, I want to be at that table. And then I'd see my buddy Eagle at the table talking to Mark Norman. I'd be like, God damn, man, I'm jealous. But uh, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, there's a table. I mean, I've seen Sarah Silverman there and Colin Quinn and all these people. And um, it's pretty cool. I mean, shooting the shit, talking. Um, yeah, it's there's it's it's cool. It's a cool vibe. What what's what's makes this? I, mean, I hear that Chris Rock reviews people's tapes before he lets them in. Uh, into the cellar. Yeah. I don't know about all that. I'm sure he doesn't have time for that. But uh, I think the rule is you need three people to vouch for you who are already passed at the cellar ah yeah i think that's the rule okay (laughs) with the new york's comedy circuit as a whole do you like to mix it up a bit because is there like a cabaret circuit an alternative comedy show then there's like the urban shows the mainstream shows um uh, I don't really. I don't really. I mean, I did earlier on, but like I said, I'm a I'm a hot house flower man. I I'm I'm sensitive. I don't. I it's hard. It's hard enough for me to go up in front of people I know. Actually, it's harder when I know them. But um, I don't know, man. I've I mean, I've gone uptown to Harlem to like the black rooms and I just bombed so bad. They just made me like wait there for three hours to do a spot. Ooh. And then I bombed so bad. It was like the worst experience. So I'm just like, but I used to go to, I used to go to this Caribbean bar in the Bronx and do shows there. They booked me on the show. They were really, really nice. And they were kind of a rough audience, but that was fun. I would do that again, but that place closed. So. Oh no. (laughs) So, they made you wait three hours yeah and my friend was hosting too but there's like the guy who runs it was just like i don't know if you're new here or whatever what 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 is sort of advice you give to your younger self as a whole um as pertaining to comedy or just in general in general i mean i guess my advice would just be work harder you know, work harder, try to develop skills, whatever they are, and go from there. Um, don't don't take shortcuts. I mean, I think I think I, as a teenager, as like a thirteen year old, I remember very clearly. Like, I'm just gonna cut every corner and get there quicker. And I don't think that it works that way for most people. I think you, you got to develop the skills. You got to put in the time and the effort. 
and the more effort and time you can put it in generally the better you'll be and what is a quote you like to live the rest of your life by suck it bitch no i don't know um (laughs) (laughs) um, a quote that i'd like to live by i don't know man i don't live by quotes um um i guess love love is all you need the beatles (laughs) (laughs) okay um is there anything you would like to plug yeah um i mean you can check out my podcast fake podcast which is um a kind of disturbing name for a podcast but i'm sticking with it and um and my show knowledge daddies is gonna drop probably next month probably in um january or december so if you find us on instagram at knowledge.daddies we're I'm, I'm making this like really um funny how-to show so like we take a, a skill like pasta making or graffiti or whatever and then me and my co-hosts we try it out fail spectacularly and then we get an expert on board to show us how to do it and then we still usually fail i hope i hope you guys have enjoyed the podcast andrew's been amazing i've been amazing give us a review on itunes share it with your friends and i'll see you guys soon any last words, Andrew? No, thank you so much for having me on, man. Okay. Thanks for coming on. Uh, best of luck with everything and take care, my friend. Thank you. You too.